When you go over to the closet or to the dresser to grab a pair of pants or a shirt, you may not notice the tag that says made in. The idea of fast fashion can have detrimental effects to the environment and the very people who make your clothes. To speak more about this is a rising junior at Fordham University Lincoln Center studying environmental science, Jasmine Petroff. Thank you for coming on The Beat. Hi, thank you so much for inviting me. Um, so can you just tell us a little bit more about what you're studying? What is environmental um, science? So the environmental science, uh, I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that all that we do is we have our own reusable straws and we just want to make everything more sustainable. And yes, in many respects it is, but it also is understanding the biological and chemistry underlyings for the world around us for us to better understand of the type of innovations we have to go on in the future for us to create a much more sustainable world. And, uh, you know, when I first introduced this story, it was talking about this idea of fast fashion. Um, can you just give a quick definition of what fast fashion is? Yeah, definitely. So it's defined as cheap and trendy clothing. You can think of Zara and H&M, which they usually take sample ideas from celebrity culture or high fashion, and they turn it into cheap garments that, that is accessible at very low prices. Right. And so I, I just, um, I was reading a piece uh, yesterday about the concept of fast fashion and a, a quote that I just want to extract is fast fashion can come at high environmental and social costs. Why is that? Yes, definitely. So the, what fast fashion does is it feeds into a consumerist hunger and for them to, for manufacturers to be able to supplement so much different types of um, clothing at such a high rate, they have to extract, first of all, lots of fossil fuels for them to keep the, keep the manufacturers running. Second of all, because of the long supply chains, the, uh, all of this, uh, this fashion, it starts in one place, and it, go, it travels to so many different countries before it gets to us. So the reason why that's an environmental impact is because of the amount of resources it's using up. Let's say the trucks that are taking it from the warehouses to the stores. And then you're going back, uh, the ships that are transporting it, and then the planes. On top of that, the actual processes themselves take up a lot of chemicals when it comes to tanning leather, for example, or even the synthetic fibers in our own clothing, when they break down over time, the microplastics end up in the ocean. So there's so many different ways and different aspects of why this is so harmful to our environment. And you mentioned that also there's a lot of social costs. Yes, because a lot of people, for your shirt to come to you at $5, you have to exploit so many people along the process. So these, the, the garment workers in let's say Bangladesh, they are getting paid maybe $20 a month to create the garments that 
people usually don't wear to the fullest. So yeah, there's a lot into this uh, and uh, I implore everyone to try a little bit of research into understanding more of this world. Well, let's talk a little bit about Bangladesh um, mm -hmm. for a second, because recently on social media, there came a lot of scrutiny with uh, influencers such as Kylie and Kendall Jenner, as well as fashion brands as H&M and, um, and Primark, uh, sort of exploiting workers in, in Bangladesh. Uh, can you just give us a, a little bit of history as to why all of our clothing has the label made in Bangladesh? Okay, definitely. So what, first of all, it was very surprising to me that it was uh, uh, the Jenners that caught fire, even though this has been in practice for many, many years now. Do you think and it's because they're, they're high-profile influencers? Definitely. They're high-profile influencers, but and I feel like the the populace may have expected more from them. But in reality, when you look at the Bangladesh workers, there's about 0%, maybe a little bit more than them, that actually receive a living wage. So Bangladesh is a hotspot for... Um, for different companies uh, to come and manufacture their goods because it is done at such a cheap rate. And most of these are actually women who do not have another choice. The factories that come into their hometowns are the only things that they know and the only things that they have. And when they go to work, they have no op other option to work anywhere else. And because of that, they are exploited of their their own livelihood by working from 6 a.m. until 2 a.m., getting paid less than a dollar a day, and all because they just want to be able to provide for their family. All right, let's, let's take a little deeper dive into that because, you know, we are living in the world of COVID-19, and I say the world because, uh, as Governor Cuomo said, that... Uh, epidemic or a hot spot somewhere is a hot spot everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so uh, being such a dense country uh, in, in South Asia, I, I assume that it, the coronavirus has had such a heavy toll on Bangladesh and all the workers mm -hmm. there. I, I want to read a piece from Forbes right now. Uh, mm -hmm. And it says that it is right that self-quarantine and social distancing is a near impossible task for the masses of Bangladesh. It's one of the world's most densely populated countries where 164 million people are packed into 57,000 square miles. What more does that have to say about workers' conditions in those factories? Well, the conditions have been truly awful for many years now, and especially with this pandemic, it puts their lives even more at risk because not only are they being exposed and their immune systems actually lowered because of the chemicals that they are being exposed to and the fumes every single day, now they are essentially, it's a, they're going every single day to work with little to no hope of having a healthy life because and the problem of understanding this on a much more smaller level, like we can 
we can look at this on a grander scale and say this is bad because of the population and how uh, congested it is. But in reality, when you go into these factories, they don't talk about what is happening, especially. So what happens is a lot of these companies have subcontractors. So how that works is what H&M has been doing is they've been talking about the factories and they're trying to be more transparent. This is where a factory is and this is what's going on in it. Unfortunately, even if we have insight toward this factory, we may not know toward this, the smaller factories that this big guy has, uh, has been paying to provide more of their supplies. So let's say their quota is 10,000 shirts a day, but they can only make 8,000. Now, H&M doesn't know who the, the boss of this factory is going to be sending the rest of their quota to, but those conditions are even worse. So yes, we can see this on a general scale, and it is awful. It is not humanitarian at all. It is a crime against people for us to be giving into this greed of more, 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 when there are people putting their lives at risk for a shirt that will probably be discarded within a month. So I, I just want to get this straight. Are you saying that fast fashion, the idea of fast fashion in itself and the, the modes in which to create a shirt, mm-hmm. it can be considered a form of a crime against humanity? Oh, absolutely. See, these aren't, I keep using the word factories, but in reality, they're all sweatshops. And uh, we look at Bangladesh all the time, but what we fail to do is this is actually also happening in America. And what's happening is brands like Fashion Nova and different brands in LA, let's say, they actually exploit undocumented immigrants by having them work in garages or different warehouses where nobody even knows that they live there, where they earn three pennies for every shirt that they create, trying to get to a wage of $5 an hour. So these brands, they know what they're doing. And they're getting profits from it. I mean, how else would you get a profit from selling something for $10 when it's such a huge clothing? So they know what they're doing and they're doing it because they know that they're able to get a lot of money out of it. And they're going to exploit and step on as many people as they can along the way. A recent piece from NPR, which talked about fast fashion and more specifically the fashion brand Zara was particularly interesting because the article says that the fast fashion giant pledged by 2025 in five years that all of its eight brands, so the parent company of Zara, will only use cotton, linen, and polyester that's organic, sustainable, or recycled, which is 90% of the raw materials it uses. Wouldn't you say that these giants, these fashion brands are taking a step in the right direction? I definitely do think so. And I've been seeing a lot of reports from different brands saying that they want to move forward. And once again, that has to do with demand. They see that the people are crying out that we want something that we can feel good about buying. But that actually brings up to a point of greenwashing, 
which I think is very important. So greenwashing is a concept where brands, they make something seem more sustainable, um, more than it actually is. So for example, Zara used to have a, a sustainable collection and they would talk that it was created out of recyclable materials. When in reality, the only thing out of an entire dress that was recyclable is the label on it that said Zara. So that small little piece of paper was the only thing that was conscious about this collection. So even though a lot of brands are taking a step forward, I still think it is a moment for us to step back and trying to understand how much are they actually changing? And we need to understand that if the prices are still staying cheap, the same rate, then even though it may be great for us, it may show that they're actually just cutting even more corners and they're not doing what they should be doing. So who should have the responsibility bearing on them to, to be more sustainable, to be more green, actually sustainable, not just greenwashing? Mm -hmm. Well, I think this is everybody's responsibility, especially because you can't blame the individual for uh, the destructions that are happening to the environment. It's always you have to look toward the industry as a whole. What is what are their underlying reasons? And the fashion industry relies a lot on fossil fuels. But once again, baby steps. We're definitely going to get there. And if we have been seeing a lot of people who have become more conscious and moving more toward buying secondhand clothing or doing their research to find sustainable brands. And I understand that a lot of people see sustainable clothing as elitist because it tends to be very expensive. And this is because that the demand for sustainable clothing isn't as high as it should be yet. So things that like a pair of shoes you can find for two, three hundred dollars. And many people would rather go to, let's say, pay less and buy twenty dollar shoes. But as I always say, this is investment for your health. Because one thing that I didn't mention before is that the chemicals that are used in garments also shoes, they actually get absorbed into your skin. And there was a study done that a child who wore pajamas that where chemicals were used to make it fireproof, they were able to still find chemicals in that child's body three days later. So this puts into question of how is our own health being affected, not only on the grand general sense of the people who are making it and the environment, but also if you don't want to think about that, think about yourself. How are you going to invest? And even then, even if you don't have a lot of money to invest into uh, different sustainable brands, that is completely understandable. There's still so many different options out there to be more conscious of the way you shop. Let's talk about those options. You mentioned secondhand shopping as one of them. Also, I just want to point out that um, a, a McKinsey study of the state of fashion in 2019 said that nine in 10 people, a part of Generation Z, believe that companies have a responsibility to address environmental and social issues. You said it's not just the companies that it should be 
everyone involved, um, the consumers, the companies, and if I'm reading right, partially the government as well in some type of um, oversight and restrictions. Am, mm -hmm. am I right or am I just oh. reaching? No, definitely. It all goes back to the government because uh, the laws that they implement uh, is the government, uh, they follow. This may be a little bit controversial, but I feel like this is something that a lot of people have seen, but the government follows where the money is. And they implement laws in where they know they're able, a lot of politicians because of lobbying where they know that they're going to be able to get a lot of profit in the end. And so the reason why I didn't go for, um, I didn't say government, even though it is such a huge factor is because we have seen how a lot of politicians are not as uh, driven towards sustainability because once again, fossil fuels is what run the country. They run the world. <laughs> And so that's definitely a huge factor that we need to go over and understanding that for us to move beyond this, we have to decrease the demand and find alternatives to fossil fuels. You, you make a good point because there are many people in the Demo Democratic Party's Progressive Caucus that do say that there must be alternatives to fossil fuels. And I, I would assume that just leads in part to alternatives to fast fashion. You've mentioned secondhand um, mm -hmm. shopping as one of them. Are there other alternatives that you see? Well, so one of my favorite uh, apps that I use is called Good On You. And uh, that is, uh, um, that's an app that's kind of like a Yelp review for different brands. And I like to use it uh, to do my own research and understanding where can I shop that where they're actually allowing to uh, provide the environment to grow and prosper around the factories, where they're allowing for livelihoods to be able to support their own families. And so that's definitely number one is research. There's so many different blogs online. Google is your number one resource to find out what brands, where can you find clothing, where you're going to feel good about it. And when it comes to secondhand shopping, I think that's also a huge, huge um, uh, re component to being able to be more sustainable. And I think one of the biggest misconceptions about that is uh, people think that all the clothing is very dirty and old and falling apart. When in fact, a lot of the clothing has been worn maybe once or twice, or maybe even has some character to it because it's vintage. And the great thing about thrift shopping is it makes it unique. So at least in my personal opinion, I think that's what makes it so great. And on top of that, there are many secondhand websites where they sell items that have not even been worn yet. So just do your research. When it comes to thrifting, though, there can be a little bit of pushback to that in that thrifting takes up one of the biggest commodities that many privileged people seem to have, and that's time. Many working class Americans, um, many Americans who happen to be um, black and indigenous or other people of color lack that commodity of time and thus resort to 
going out and buying something online or in person. So how do you think the, this idea of thrifting and, and time can be accessible to everyone? Well, I think a lot of uh, thrift and secondhand stores have done a great job at organizing their products. So, for example, Poshmark or ThreadUp, you can, it will definitely take some time in some respects, but most of the time I feel it's the same equivalent as searching, let's say, on Brandy Melville for a cute shirt that fits you. You just need a, the great thing about shopping online right now is you put in your size, you put in what you want, you put in the different color, and bam, you get everything you want at a price that is sometimes even cheaper than fast fashion brands. When you go into Zara, sometimes you get uh, shirts that are $40, $50, where in thrifting, you can get it for much cheaper. Where do you see the world of fashion in the next five or so years? I definitely see it more localized and more circular. The reason I say localized, especially with COVID, it has made a lot of brands, and not even just the fashion industry, but everyone in general, rethink their supply chains. Because now we can see it is very hard to be dependent on a product that is sprawled all throughout the world. Whether the fabric is made in China, it's put together in Bangladesh, the fossil fuels to create it is mined in Argentina. We, need, we realize that for us to not lose money as we have been during COVID-19, these manufacturers need to bring it closer to home. Focus on factories and uh, um, factories on land and uh, in their own hometowns. So not rely on globalization, so to say. Definitely. Definitely, because it's what globalization, globalization is what has caused for all this exploitation to happen. It's depending on people who are out of sight, out of mind, to cater to our needs. And so uh, that's interesting to know um, because uh, I'm not advocating or saying anything about this at all. Um, <laughs> you, you know, I, it's interesting to know because a, a, a Nike sneaker can cost mm-hmm. $90 uh, because of its outsourcing. Uh, in in other countries where the workers are basically paid starvation level uh, wages compared to that in America. And it can be said that they're just starvation level wages all across the board. If Nike moves its manufacturing from overseas to America, wouldn't that just drive the price of that sneaker up and thus becoming less affordable in, in a sense to those who want it, isn't, doesn't, isn't there some sort of economics in, in play in all of this as well? Definitely. But one thing to understand, well, when it comes to wages, let's say, if, if Nike were to give everyone living wages, prices would go up approximately 1%. What you are buying isn't the material, isn't the isn't the components of Nike, the shoe itself. What you're buying is the marketing. And that goes a lot for many different brands. So I would say, even though Gucci and all those high fashion brands aren't exactly classified as fast fashion, they are still exploitative. 
and the fabric. It's not, it's nothing fancy most of the time. Most of the time, the reason why you're paying such high amounts is, as I said, for the marketing. Because what they do is they make it seem that if you're wearing this brand, if you're wearing this name, that means that you are a part of this crowd. You are now showing that you have money to spare. But in reality, let's say for like Supreme, a shirt with a tiny label for high amounts of money. You're not paying for whatever that label is made out of. It's just normal cotton. You're paying for this marketing team to show the world that by you wearing this, you are somehow on a higher level. So, so when it comes to uh, wages then, because I, I want to stick on this topic of this idea of made in blank. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when you're talking about a made in America uh, label, um, you're talking about uh, a country that is known for unionization, known for um, paying a decent wage to, to workers. I'm not saying that they're... Um, livable wages, but I'm, I'm saying that they're decent compared to the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that companies should start paying their workers a base level livable wage? Um, and so even when that does drive up the, the retail value of that product, it's still affordable because there is a livable wage spread across the board. Exactly. So one of the most important things about when focus on, on economics is you, you cannot look at just one factor. So for example, there has been a study that said for every, for every woman that comes out of poverty, she brings seven people with her. So in that sense, it means with the money that you provide to these people, they're able to give back to different businesses, provide to family and friends, and thus uplifting everyone as a whole. So yes, maybe uh, uh, the product may increase in price, but that makes, needs to, that makes us think of what are the consequences of me buying this apparel? If, uh, Am I willing to sacrifice uh, other people's lives just so that I can wear something that makes me uh, seem like I'm part of a crowd? And it may seem a little bit too cynical, and I'm not trying to be only sustainable stuff. Um, I wish we can get there, and I know it's going to take a long time for us to get there. But I think the most important thing to understand is on a personal level, yeah, things may uh, increase in price in the short term. But in the long term, if you're looking at the bigger picture, so many more lives will be uplifted. Our environment, uh, if we're not focusing so much on uh, using chemicals and using proper materials and uh, ingredients for clothing, then that's going to be only creating a better environment for not only us, not only for the country, but the world as a whole. And 
this is it's kind of a moment of where we hold hands and sing kumbaya but in reality this is this is just the the dream for the future the hope and understanding that the whole thing behind sustainability is there's no one factor that plays by itself we are all connected whatever happens on one side of the world it ends up having an effect somewhere else so yes once again going back to your original question yes it's it's going to be more pricey as we can see but with innovations coming in and new technologies eventually we will figure out for us to not be stagnated in the ways in which we usually know everything to be. All right, Jasmine, we're almost out of time, but uh, finish this sentence for me if you can. Fashion mm -hmm. is blank. Fashion is personal. And why do you say that? I think fashion should be personal because you shouldn't be wearing something because other people are wearing it. Other people are saying, oh, this is what it's cool. It should be, it feels good. I, I like it because of the story behind it. I like to know the artisan who made this has a story to tell what their background is, their own personality. Because it's, this isn't just fabric, it's a story to tell. And so that's why I think fashion should be personal. Jasmine Petrov, thank you so much for coming on The Beat. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great to talk about this.